Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. I am broadcasting again today from NPR Studios in Washington. And remember, if you have to step away from the radio right now because you're headed into work or off to do something else, you do not have to miss out on the program here on Detroit Today. You can go to iTunes or wherever it is that you download podcasts. You can download and subscribe to Detroit Today and listen to us whenever or wherever you are ready. A little later in the show, we're going to have a really interesting conversation about the strain of the divisions in our political culture on families. The idea of being related to somebody who really thinks differently or sees things differently than you do. That looks a little different in the era of Donald Trump. And we're going to talk with someone who has had a really strained relationship with his own mother as a result of the difference between them on uh, the question of whether Donald Trump should be president. And of course, we're going to want to hear from you during that segment as well. Are there strains that you're seeing in your family uh, as a result of the deep political divisions that are on display right now in America? Up first, though, this week, state prosecutors filed another charge of involuntary manslaughter in the Flint water crisis investigation. Michigan Chief Chief Medical Executive Eden Wells already faces charges of obstruction of justice and making a false statement in the investigation. Now she's one of six officials who are charged with involuntary manslaughter and one of 15 total people facing charges in the case. As court proceedings begin to move forward, the question becomes whether Flint residents will really get the justice they deserve. Can justice ever even be achieved in a situation like this? And will these criminal charges restore any semblance of trust in a government that allowed an entire city to have its water supply Poisoned. Joining joining me now to talk about Flint and some other subjects is Representative Dan Kildee, a Democrat from Flint Township. Dan, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. It's yeah. good to be here. Yes, it's good to see you in person here in yeah. Washington. Normally, we're on the phone, right? And, uh, <laughs> sort of trying to imagine what uh, what what the other's expressions might be. Like. Well, because I'm in studio, I sort of dressed up for the occasion. I, I, I see here that, right? Well, I also assume maybe you dressed up because you're going to work later today. On the way but... to work right after this. <laughs> right. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's start with the new charges in the Flint water crisis. I'm not sure if you and I have talked since uh, since they filed these involuntary manslaughter charges against uh, Nick Lyon uh, and some other people. So, so let me give you your reaction first to the idea of raising the stakes here to that level of criminality. Well, one thing I make it a habit of, uh, of not doing, and that is prejudging the outcome of a criminal charge. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in, in this case, as in every case, the person who's the subject of these charges is warranted the privilege of the presumption of innocence, sure. and, and I think that should stand. I do think, though, that the level, the the seriousness of these charges and the sort of the individuals who are, who are having to defend them is an indication of the gravity of the Flint water crisis. And that's really the reaction that I take away from this. Yeah. These are very senior people who report directly to the governor – essentially. Yes. And they're charged with really serious crimes. To me, the the most important thing to take from that is 
a reminder of how serious the Flint water crisis really is. Yeah. That yeah. it's not just about, you know, brown water or it's not just about a few weeks of people having to take bottled water. This is really serious. And and we learned last week uh, during the testimony of Harvey Holland, uh, another aide to the governor at some point, that some of the things that the governor has said aren't exactly true. Now, there, there have been uh, times throughout this crisis that we've been able to point at things that didn't seem to make a lot of sense uh, in the timelines that they that they uh, talked about in, in the many emails that came out. There were some discrepancies. This was the first time, I think, you could look at something and say, this was absolutely a lie that the governor told about when he knew something uh, in this case, what was your reaction to that news? Well, it has always been unbelievable to me that a situation as serious as this, a city that's facing a spike in legionnaires, a city that has you know significant water contamination with poisonous uh, contaminants like lead, that that wouldn't come to the attention of the governor, that those aren't the kind of things that a staff person or a department head would not immediately go to the governor with. It's always been unbelievable to me that that was the case. You know, again, I think it's important not to prejudge the outcome of this, but it is curious, at least, that uh, Mr. Hollins, in a criminal trial, a preliminary examination in yes. a criminal trial, under oath, made it clear that he was telling the truth, that he had taken an oath, and that he had told the governor weeks prior uh, that this legionnaire spike was occurring, and that in front of Congress, the the governor again under oath said something different. Said something entirely different. So, a lot of people would say, "Well, what difference does it make? It's a few weeks." It makes a difference when the governor potentially. Now, again, we don't know. One of these two people are not telling the truth. Mm-hmm. But when the governor possibly would swear an oath before Congress and then say something was not true, it raises a question about anything else that he has said. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think that's a path that has to be followed. Again, I don't want to prejudge the outcome. I spoke yesterday with Trey Gowdy, who's mm-hmm. the chair of the uh, Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. I spoke last Friday uh, with Elijah Cummings, the ranking Democrat, asked them to pursue this. I'm confident that they will. And so I think we have to let this play out. But this this does not help in in the effort for Flint to turn the corner yeah. when they have yet another reminder that one or one other of a, se- a senior person involved in state policy lies when it comes to the Flint water crisis. One of these two individuals is not telling the truth, right. and they're in, in either case, it's not good. It's not okay. Um, I, I wonder. I, there, there. I think is a reasonable supposition, I guess, to be made, given the way uh, uh, the Attorney General Bill Schuette has sort of played this out, that the governor is a target. Now, the uh, Attorney General said he's not, uh, has said that they haven't gotten to that point yet. Um, uh, but given the way this is playing out at this point, given the sort of tightening circle, I guess, around the governor where everybody who was involved is now really being charged with with pretty serious stuff does it seem logical even that he he would escape any sort of uh, any sort of action for this you know it's hard to say um 
The one thing that I, I do think is important is that the facts determine who the targets of the investigation would be. And I, I think it is somewhat concerning that, um, that anyone involved in this investigation would announce at some point before the completion of the investigation who the targets who are. Who it is and who it isn't. It's, yeah. The facts ought to just uh, unfold. And the, those involved in the criminal investigation, uh, you know, pursuing it, should allow the facts to lead them wherever they may go. And so I think it is logical that either the governor, who has portrayed himself as this hands-on master of management, yes, either that is a complete falsehood, <laughs> which is really difficult to believe, yes, or um, he really was much more involved in this. Now, the one thing we know we know about this governor. He has a penchant for passing difficult responsibilities on to somebody else. He does. And, you know, taking credit when the good things happen. You know, politicians do this anyway. But this is a particularly poignant example where this is the most significant failure of state government in my lifetime. Yeah. I'm 59 years old. I think in any of ours. Yeah. I mean, it's the biggest thing I've ever seen. And for the person who is the, the, you know, the head of the state government to somehow disavow himself of any particular responsibility for this, when people right around him, department heads, his urban policy advisors and others, maybe, uh, maybe even others, the people that he appointed to run Flint, uh, that he essentially hand-selected to run the city of Flint, the emergency financial managers and the emergency manager, it is... Very difficult to comprehend that he does not have some responsibility for this. But, again, we shouldn't prejudge. The only thing I'm really concerned about is that whatever the criminal investigation unfolds, let's not prejudge uh, guilt, but let's not prejudge innocence either. Uh, Right, right. And I think it's important that 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 be the the, sort of the order of the day. Yeah. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Uh, My guest is Representative Dan Kildee, a Democrat from Flint Township. We are talking about the Flint water crisis, the new charges that were announced uh, in the Flint water crisis, involuntary manslaughter charges extended to uh, a sixth official, Chief Medical Executive Eden Wells. Uh, We're talking about how far this might go, the criminal inquiry into the Flint water crisis crisis, what those consequences might end up looking like. Uh, We're also going to talk about what things look like on the ground in Flint, where people are still struggling in some cases to make sure that there's clean water coming into their houses. If you want to join the conversation, talk to us about the charges in the Flint water crisis, whether you think uh, these are appropriate, whether you think maybe these are overkill. Is the attorney general uh, trying to send a message, perhaps, the very ambitious attorney general who says he wants to be the governor? Is this a way to make a statement about uh, what kind of leadership he would bring to the governor's mansion? Or do you think that this is perfectly appropriate. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, especially tell us if you, uh, if you live in Flint, if you know someone who lives in Flint, we'd love to hear what the reality is like for you uh, now many years after the Flint water crisis was discovered. Uh, Are things better? Are things getting better? Do you expect that this will 
get fixed. Again, 313-577-1019 is that number. Uh, Dan, let's talk about what it looks like on the ground in Flint and what it's like for the, the families who live there trying to keep, uh, keep clean water. Well, the crisis is ongoing. Uh, people still do not, for good reason, trust the water. Uh, you know, the good news, I suppose, is that the, the money that we were able to get through Congress, which took far too long, um, is being deployed. The lead service lines are being replaced. I wish it were happening more quickly, but, you know, we, we can only do what we can do. Um, but in many ways, the crisis is still ongoing. Um, and what's the fix at this point? I mean, this idea that you could replace the lead lines, uh, I mean, that's a massive undertaking for the entire city. It would take a long time, I would imagine. And meantime, uh, you know, I've said from the beginning, the, the human crisis is the water crisis there, right? The, the, the fact that people didn't have clean water. But there are a lot of other things that will be affected by that. I mean, if you live in the city of Flint and own a home there, what's your house worth right, right now? If you wanted to leave the city of Flint uh, and sell your house, would that even be possible? I mean, all of these things, I think, lead to this bigger question about what the future looks like in that city. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to make. And number one, to understand the fix, it's important to understand the cause. So the cause was that the state of Michigan made decisions about how we fund cities that took a city like Flint that was balancing on the edge of insolvency Mm -hmm. and tipped them over. Just during the period of time uh, that, 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 uh, that this crisis has been occurring, the state cut about $50 million from a city that was then $20 million underwater. So right. they would have been solvent without those state actions. Yes. The reason I say that is to make it clear that the decisions about Flint water and the conditions that led to the decisions about Flint water were not made by the people of Flint. They were made by outsiders. They were made by the state government. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So having said that, I think it's proper to say, look, the solution to the Flint crisis comes in many forms. Justice comes in many forms, and it'll take a long time. You know, the immediate needs, the crisis management was important. Replacing the lead service lines to prevent this from ever happening again, both important. But neither of those constitute a full solution. For Flint, what we need is the long-term health and development support for anyone who has a health or developmental impact as a result of this crisis. Part of that has been committed partly by government, part by philanthropy. Uh, But the long-term assurance that those resources will be there is not in place. That's another piece of it. But then the the point that you um, finished your question with, the economic impact Mm -hmm. of this Flint water crisis will be felt for decades. And so one form that justice may take is for the state of Michigan, and I would argue the federal government as well, has a responsibility to help rebuild the economic losses, to help restore the economic losses that not only Flint citizens but Flint businesses felt as a result of this crisis. That can come in a lot of different forms, and we're working on a number of those. Um, but that's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. Uh, you know, Getting support to rebuild neighborhoods, getting support to reduce blight, getting support for uh, property owners to make improvements to their own homes, to try to recover some of that lost value. Yes. Those are all, I think, legitimate aspects of Flint's recovery that we ought to be, and I am, pushing for. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the phones here. Uh, Brett in Ann Arbor. Brett, welcome to Detroit Today. 
thank you. Thanks for having mm -hmm. me. Um, Go ahead. So I had, I had a question uh, mostly regarding the charges against Snyder and looking at that because I know with the uh, involuntary uh, manslaughter charges, those are related to the Legionnaires uh, disease, but then the, there were conspiracy charges also brought up against Darnell Early, um, and I know a lot of that goes back to the fraudulent administrative consent order that came out of the MDEQ, mm -hmm. um, and that was to kind of get the validate the funding uh, to override the, the, I guess, the block on funding because they were under uh, executive or management or emergency management, and so that was coming out of the executive branch. Um, but Miller and Canfield, the bond attorneys, right, they pushed Darnell Early to sign by a specific date to make sure they could get the funding for the bond deal to fund the KWA pipeline. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my question is why the emails pre-2013 that presumably would have been made between the executive branch uh, and then Miller and Canfield, those haven't really been released, to my knowledge, of and the executive branch in Michigan is pretty insulated from having to release emails uh, by force. And so right. I wondered, like, how much is the how much is the eternal attorney general actually looking at um, how much collusion went on prior? Because to think that this was just like late 2013 and beyond seems bizarre when we're talking right. about there was a lot there was a lot going on dollars. before. Sure. Brett, yeah. thanks very much for the call and the, and, and the questions. Uh, I, I would imagine that the inquiry, the inquiry here is going into some of what Brett is talking about at the, from the Attorney General's office, and it is looking at KWA, how we came to this decision to, to, to build this pipeline. Pretty controversial, very expensive. No one's quite sure whether it will work or sustain itself. Uh, are we going to see that go go back, I, you know, go back that far and maybe charges come out of that. Yeah, I think everything should be looked at. And I think this question that the caller raises is an important one because while, you know, while some of the emails and other communications might not be subject to FOIA, which is a completely other, another question that we sure. ought to be dealing with. I mean, uh, the, the AG doesn't have to deal with FOIA. Yeah. He can they get what they he can wants. just subpoena everything yeah. that they want to get and they should be doing that. But, but it does... The caller does make the point that this is a complicated web of decisions, all that, not the not in the legal sense, but conspired against the people of Flint. They, they, all of this, and, and, and you take a step back from it, think about it this way. It was the state of Michigan that was running the city of Flint and had substantial control over the city of Detroit that made all the decisions that led to Flint disconnecting from the Detroit water system. Mm-hmm agreeing to the KWA, which is a separate question from using the Flint River, but the state also essentially made the decision to go to the Flint River. And what's the long-term result? A half a billion dollars later, a city of 100,000 people poisoned, economic impact that can only be measured in decades. And where are we right now? The city of Flint is back on the Detroit water system. Right. We're right back where we started. And every single one of those decisions, every last one of them, are traceable to the state government. And I do think there's a, a series of questions that, that, are, that are begged by all of this. Why? Right. Why were, were these decisions to? made? What? Why, you know, why was Flint, you know, why was the decision made 
um, by Flint or by Detroit. And this is sort of a falsehood that one or the other made the decision. They were both being run by the state of Michigan. Why was Flint taken off the Detroit water system before they were ready? Right. That. That's a serious question. Yeah, yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. My guest here is Representative Dan Kildee, a Democrat from Flint Township. We're talking about the Flint water crisis. Uh, go to Facebook, the WDET page there. Put your comments there. Go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Dan, I want to switch the subject just a little here to what you do here every day in Washington. Uh, the, the feuding that is going on right now, not between Democrats and Republicans, but between Republicans and Republicans, uh, between uh, congressional Republicans and this White House. I, I, I said yesterday on the program that I was surprised not by the things that Senator Bob Corker is saying about President Trump, but with the the sort of early nature of that sort of criticism. It's only been 10 months, 9, 10 months uh, of this administration, and you've already got a pretty senior member of the congressional delegation saying, all right, I probably have seen enough of this. Yeah, unfortunately, there are still many Republicans that continue to take President Trump's side in this question. And and I think the, the real... The real um, I guess the thing we're actually seeing right now is the inevitable unraveling uh, of of a Democratic, or I'm sorry, of a Republican majority that attempted to normalize Donald Trump because they saw it as being in their best interest to do so, in their short-term interest. When he was elected, you know, a lot of Republican um, uh office holders were not on board with him. Mm -hmm. But they did backflips to try to pretend that there was something normal about Donald Trump and the way he operates. And they are now paying a very heavy price for, in many ways, normalizing his behavior and his, uh, you know, pathology. Mm -hmm. And, And now they're having to pay a price for that. This is really a dangerous situation. Now, I will say this. It is my belief that over time, I think maybe this is what's going on now, the similarities that Democrats and Republicans in Congress have with one another will be manifest because we have a lot more in common with one another than we do with the administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, we essentially, for the most part, believe in the process of governing. We believe in some sort of order. And with President Trump, he believes that he has this incredible authority to wave his magic wand and just make decisions, and we're supposed to just go along. Go along, right. And that's not the way it works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's go to Brian in Detroit. Brian, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? All right. I I was thinking originally when I was uh, back doing the Detroit uh, bankruptcy Mm -hmm. that the, uh, the whole water board thing was coming up. And they allowed the Flint. I was thinking they would allow the Flint to get off the water system in order to hurt the Detroit Water Board during that process because that took away millions and millions of dollars from going to that system. And by doing that, it hurt Detroit, made them able to sell the water board or change ownership, whichever way you want to look at it, to uh, the three counties. And I think that's part of the governor's idea was to hurt Detroit by taking Flint off the water system. That's. I mean, it's an interesting. It's an interesting theory, Brian. Uh, and I appreciate your call, 
and uh, and interjecting that into the conversation. I mean, that's a pretty high level of conspiracy there, Dan. Yeah, it is, but I will <laughs> say this. It, the, the, the caller's point is, is one that I've thought about. Why was there such a focus on getting Flint off the Detroit water system before the KWA was ready? Was ready, right. I mean, there's no real good answer to that question. So it does cause one to speculate, well, who would benefit? Right. Those who were advocating for uh, Great Lakes Water Authority, I suppose, could see that taking 7% of the Detroit water uh, system customers offline takes them from being solvent to insolvent and forces the question. Now, I don't know if that's the case or not, but there are a lot of theories floating around, and that's not an implausible theory. Right, right. Uh, Before I let you go, I want to talk briefly about... The gubernatorial election, which is coming up next year, I'm one of the people who says, good grief, are we really going to do this for 18 months, uh, have, have this uh, campaign? But it's it's well underway. I want to talk about the Democratic side of that equation. You are someone who looked at the field, thought about maybe getting in, and then said, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to do the, the things that I'm doing in Washington. But I wonder if you are now looking at this field that is forming up on the Democratic side and, I don't know, wondering if, if, it, if it's what it should be at this point. Are we, are we seeing the strength that Democrats know they need to beat somebody like Attorney General Bill Schuette or, or Lieutenant Governor Brian Callen? Well, I think it's a good question, and I'm looking for somebody to break out with a bold and, and very strong agenda uh, that will be a good counterpoint to what has been eight years of Republican failure in Lansing. Mm-hmm. But there's no, you know, Michigan is not a state where the, the pendulum naturally swings, even though you know, we were talking about this earlier. It's typical that a party does not succeed itself mm-hmm. in the governor's mansion, but that, that's not because of some formula. It's not, <laughs> you know, it's not something that's Still got to have the votes. You right? have to have the votes. And, and what I think, if there's a lesson, for example, of the 2016 election, it is that Democrats had better get serious about presenting a, a significant alternative to Republican governance, a serious plan yeah. about what we will do if we are in charge. That's true in the, in the national election, right? And it's certainly going to be true in Michigan. I'm hoping to see that. I mean, uh, you and know, we haven't seen it yet. No, I don't think so. Uh, but I think you know, for anybody who's contemplating running for governor, forget about you know, sort of. You know, typical conventional thinking about endorsements and all that nonsense. Speak to the people of Michigan. Lay out an agenda, and I think, and I think they'll respond. Yeah. All right, Congressman Dan Kildee, uh, Democrat from Flint Township. As always, great to have you here on Detroit today. All right, thank you, Stephen. Good to see you. We'll see you again soon. All right, up next, how is President Trump's election and presidency affecting families? who are divided politically. We are going to talk with Panama Jackson of Very Smart Brothers about a piece he wrote recently about how this has all damaged his relationship with his mother. Stay with us on Detroit Today.